This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandhu, together with Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. What's your favourite gadget or device? Chances are you'll say something from the last 10 years. But we've been relying on gadgets for thousands of years. Matt Armitage, who is as old as time itself, chooses some of his favourite from back in the day. So Matt, we're talking about gadgets, but you actually want to interview me. So I'm very confused here. What's going on? Okay, Today's a bit of a, a tag team thing. So uh, I know you've just been to um, CES and you've been sending back reports to BFM, but I want to take a slightly different focus, I think, because, mm. you know, both of us have been quite disappointed by retail technology over the last few years. Uh, gadgets have basically become apps and, uh, you know, occasionally they'll sell you the hardware that the app works through, like the 8 million different Alexa-linked speakers <laughs> that are currently on sale. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been the same from both the kind of consumer and retailer side. We've all been suffering from this kind of um, gadget fatigue. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and over the last few years, we've looked at the images and reports from CES and other um, kind of consumer festivals, and it all looked very kind of predictable and run-of-the-mill. But when I was looking through your posts and listening to your your file stories this time it seems like it's a lot more interesting this year you know there's all these brain devices mm. there was i think one amazing picture that you posted of this tree that had screens as the leaves on the tree which was mm. you know just astonishingly impactful mm. so i mean would you say that i don't know ces has maybe reinvented itself for this kind of post smartphone and tablet era I would say yes, and I know a lot of journalists that was there at CES in Vegas also said the same thing because, you know, this is my first CES in in Vegas, right? Um, And I asked them like, hey, so, you know, how how many times have you been to CES? And most of them was like, oh, five times, six times, veterans of CES. And a lot of them have actually said this year's CES is a lot better than in the previous, in the years. previous years. Because yeah. we've we've covered previous years. I mean, you know, when we're here in Malaysia, and it's mostly been the weird. Yeah, we take CES. the weird stuff out there. But <laughs> I mean, from the stuff you saw, what what kind of excited you the most, do you think? I honestly felt like there's a lot of these big brands that realize that in order to create something cool, it's partnerships. So like okay. the Sony's Vision S, which you know in Geeks we will talk about it later. Like, you know, that for me it's cool because Sony made a car. They could have just, you know, put on some of their own sensors into a plastic shell and say that this is how a car would look like. But they actually went a step further in making a real car that's actually drivable. Um, in terms of like, you know, TVs, they've just gone bigger, but, you know, they can fall now. And yeah, exactly. You could do all kinds. But also health side, uh, smart health is was, was a big deal. They had a whole cargo, uh, well, a whole um, a hangar of just everything <laughs> That's got to do with you know smart health and, and digital assistance to for your health. So, and yeah. and what kind of trends would you see kind of sneaking in? What do you think is kind of the growth area from what you saw this year? So definitely health. Apparently, according to their organisers, they were saying that there's been like uh, I know this is very technical. It's like thirty percent increase from last year's. Um, but it's it's also how they market 
digital health or smart health. You know, we've always like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just another wristband. It's another, you know, device that you strap onto yourself to monitor the heart rate. But now it's putting in like stuff that we've talked about, smart fabrics. So we, you, know, you just wear them. It just becomes part of you. And how they're marketing this is they're, they're targeting for the elderly people, for those who are in need to monitor their sleep uh, or if something happens when they're asleep. So you send an alert out to those who are, you know, close to them. I, th- I thought that was, for me, was pretty cool. Um, but other than that, you know, I think pet technology is still something people love. It's it's gimmicky, but it draws crowds. People, yeah. when, you know, when there's this booth that was doing this, um, you know, this collar that you could strap onto your dog and it tells you the mood of your dog just from its heart rate. <laughs> I thought it was gimmicky, but, you know, from what I posted on my Insta story, a lot of people is like, this is so useful because sometimes I wake up and my pet is just like lying down there doing absolutely nothing. And I'm worried, like, is there something to do with the heart and stuff? I'm like, well, you know what? There is a market for things oh, like this. Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned like the um, the smart clothing and we also see uh, there was a, a lot more kind of brain reading device oh, yeah. tech there as well. Was that kind of in the health sphere or was that in the yeah. kind of consumer side Yeah, as that well? was more in the health sphere. Okay. Um, so they're, they're marketing this as something that could help with uh, understanding how, you know, your brain would work in different... And, and it's a medical device and, you know, they've got this helmet where it looks weird. You, you wear this helmet where it's supposed to identify your brain waves and your patterns and understand what your brain waves are saying so you could learn things better. Um, but it's in it's in it's in the health segment. It's the health and well being. Yeah, because one of your posts I saw, I think, was um, people wearing the the devices and controlling um, racing cars, like a skate yeah. trick, electric yeah. electric game. But presumably, that's being marketed more as a kind of novelty consumer tech, away from the kind of health sphere. Yeah, there's also clubbing, uh, clubbing in the new decade. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I mean, do you do you think this was the first year that? augmented reality and virtual reality really started to become more than a novelty. I mean, I really loved that digital clubbing idea. Mm. But do you think that technology is really starting to find its its kind of purpose or are we still in that novelty? I think it's a, it, it's a novelty. The only reason why it's it looks like a norm, it's because it's CES. Because it is, you know, it's an area where every tech enthusiast would be there. That's why it just felt like a norm if you would see someone just wearing an AR kit and dancing around to some, you know, digital music that his or he or her is listening to. But I think it's a novelty. I don't think people are ready for that. Okay. And just going back to what you were saying about the um, the Sony and the electric car mm, concept, mm. Uh, do you think that this is going to become an emerging trend? Because Sony actually dropped the car right at the end of their presentation <laughs> and they didn't really explain it either. Yeah. So do you think we're going to see more of this kind of cliffhanger introduction of technology, you know, more of those kind of jaw-dropping moments yeah. in in kind of these shows in the future. That's the only way for you to, I guess, get the attention of the press, you know, because every single press is, you know, from around the world are at CES. So, you know, they, they, they always have their media days, they call this, where they launch something co-currently with another brand, right? So you got to battle and fight. So uh, Sony, interestingly... I met someone from Sony at the airport when I was leaving Vegas and he said that apparently only three people from Sony knew that they had a car at CES. So not everyone in Sony actually knew they had a car. They just knew they had a container that was huge, but they're not sure what's in that container. They were thinking, wow, this is the yeah. biggest TV we've ever seen. <laughs> well, there was a 292-inch yeah, TV, no, saw, so you yes. know, it could have been in that yeah. container anyways, but... 
yeah, so it, it's even a surprise for uh, most of the Sony staff themselves. Uh, I, I think it's the, it's the way forward. Yeah, quite incredible. And my final question to mm. you before I let you rest. <laughs> um, what was the reaction on the ground to Apple coming back to CES? Because this is the first time they've been at CES for many years now. Yeah, I think like since 1992 or something like mm. that, right? So, um, so a lot of people were excited to hear what Apple's got to say because it was a talk. Actually, it didn't have a booth or anything. It was just like they were part of a panel session about privacy. Um, a lot of people were excited to hear what Apple has because last year, Apple had a banner outside of CES saying that, you know, your privacy is kept within the phone itself. So it was a dig at Google because their booth was facing that billboard so this time around it was actually they were part of a panel session um interestingly when you were out of the panel session a lot of people were confused because facebook which was also part of the panel uh one of the facebook representative actually came out and kept saying i think two or three times that they take privacy as seriously as apple does and everyone was just like really (laughs) um so yeah just you know people were excited to see apple representing at ces as a panel but nothing more than just go like Cool. All right, cool. Mm. Now, bearing in mind, though, I'm still very jet-lagged, man. So why did you actually force me to this format change of yours? Because unless you were jet-lagged, there's no (laughs) way you'd have agreed to it. Um, And also because, you know, I've been asked to be positive for most of January. So, you know, I have to get in my little digs of evil wherever I can. Mm. Um, But Most of all, because I think, as you said, consumer technology is becoming a bit more vital again, especially, as you were saying, in that that realm of health technology. And, you know, the the brainwave tech, for example, Mm. you know, I've had a lot of stick over the past 24 months for talking about this jump to screenless technology. Mm, And everyone assumed you meant Google Glass kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which is not the point at all. You know, we keep saying this. People forget that you don't need a screen to communicate with somebody else, you know. So when you start talking about 5G bandwidth uh, coupled with, you know, really functional voice and even brain and mind activation, Mm -hmm. that future isn't just close. It's actually already here, as you saw at at this year's show. You know, Malaysia may be lagging a little behind because the market leader, Amazon, doesn't make it easy to use their Echo products here. Mm. But, you know, there are plenty of Chinese companies that are looking to, to sop up that excess demand across the world. Voice assistants are not just mainstream, but, you know, they're becoming the norm across a lot of our digital behaviour. So you chose the dawn of invisible technology to celebrate the gadget. Well, preconceptions are, and (laughs) yeah, I know it sounds daft, but, you know, preconceptions (laughs) are that gadgets are this 20th century thing. Um, You know, sure, it was the first genuine consumer era, Mm. but the mighty gadget has been improving our lives since, you know, we first used flints and sticks to make fire. So, you know, those fire-making kits, a spark kindling, that's a gadget that's, you know, thousands and thousands of years old. And as we head into this era of invisible tech, it's worth remembering that gadgets are not going to disappear. You know, as much as I tease about smart (laughs) toasters, the cloud can't make you breakfast. So, you know, these devices may change and converge, um, possibly into, you know, the voice-activated Star Trek replicators. Yes, please, I'm hoping. Mm. Um, But, you know, we're not going to live our lives, go about our lives entirely without these devices. So I think today is a good time to celebrate some of those 
gadgets, the impact of which, you know, big and small, has actually helped to define human history. All right. When we come back, I will be refusing to answer any more of Matt's questions. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Welcome back. It is Fun Friday. And, uh, you know, earlier on, we were going through some of the stuff that uh, I've seen at CES. But Matt actually wants to look back at the past. So we'll go even beyond uh, CES. So he wants to look back at 10 years or even beyond 10 years or, as well. Or, well, even mm-hmm. 15,000. Why not, right? So what are these illustrious inventions that we are memorializing? Well, you know, we've done some of the most obvious ones in the past. You know, we've done the plough and collective agriculture. Oh, so, we're really going back in time. Oh, now. yeah, we're really going back in time. <laughs> so I thought that today we could look at some of the inventions that are maybe a little less well-known or whose significance is overlooked. Um, for example, you know, we often think about electric batteries as being a 20th century invention. And to an extent, they kind of were because mm. in that consumer sense, it was, you know, those electric torches that were the... Um, the first ones to, to kind of use batteries that were small enough to become a, a consumer device. But didn't Benjamin Franklin invent them in like the 1700s? Well, he came up with Leyden jars and they were an early forerunner of the, the battery. Um, we had our first kind of electrochemical batteries at the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, the first useful, I guess what you'd call commercial batteries, um, they were called the Daniel cell. Mm. They were actually produced in 1836. And there's been that gradual innovation uh, up until, you know, Tesla and the electric-powered um, aircraft batteries that we see today. But there's actually a really disconnected path to the history of batteries. The first batteries were not in the 1700s. The actual first battery, which is called has been called the Baghdad battery, uh, was uh, recovered in the 1930s. Uh, it was very basic, uh, even by uh, 19th century standards, uh, it was basically made of a terracotta urn and there's a kind of copper and iron assembly in it with uh, bits of metal sticking out at the top. Hmm. You add an acidic agent and then you get a chemical reaction that creates this very weak power source. And what were they used for? Well, we don't know because that's been lost to history. Now, I said there's a disconnected history there. We don't even know their exact hmm. age. From the pottery and the metalworking, we estimate them to be... Uh, from around 250 CE. So literally 1,500 years before the first batteries. Um, but the the biggest story, I think, is, you know, were they just this one-off that we chanced upon? You know, was it just some mad inventor who came up with them? Were they actually really commonplace locally or even throughout the region? Uh, one of the Ideas is that they could have been used for gold electroplating, for example. But why don't we have any record of them? And why was that battery technology effectively lost to, you know, the the entire human race for 1,500 years? Yeah, a little like the first computer then. Well, yeah, you know, we've mentioned the um, Antikythera computer on gadget history shows before. So even though it was discovered in 1900, it was only in 2006 that we were finally able to confirm what it was. And Mm. that was using really expensive X-ray tomography. Uh, It was badly corroded because it had spent 2000 years underwater off a Greek island. You know, that we've managed to piece together that um, it's incredibly intricate clockwork mechanism was 
used to produce astronomical movements and occurrences like eclipses. We now think that it was made anywhere around um, 150 BCE to about 50 BCE. And it was probably part of a shipment of looted treasure that was on its way to Rome. Wow. Now, it really does make you wonder why we suddenly stopped making analog computers until the 19th century. Well, we, we still had these kind of predictive devices, but nothing with this kind of clockwork mm. complexity or nothing that mirrored the kind of technology that we started to see in the 19th and 20th centuries. And that lost technology is such a mystery and a marvel. <laughs> you know, we talked before the ancient Romans had air conditioning and clean water and sewage <laughs> systems. So why didn't we have artificial intelligence a thousand years mm. ago? You know, why weren't the Romans taking that technology and building and spreading these complex analog computers through, throughout their huge empire? Especially as, you know, they were these really big seagoers and empire builders. Which is why you're always so reluctant to rely on electricity. Well, you know, I love the idea of the world's information being in the cloud, you know, this idea of digital currencies, but there always needs to be a fallback. So there was a story, I think, a couple of weeks ago, one of the big money exchange networks, mm. TravelX, uh, they were hacked on, I think, December the 31st. Hackers held uh, their data to ransom for six million US dollars. So their entire global system was offline. So a lot of commercial currency exchanges and bureau de changes, which use TravelX to, to power their uh, transactions, they had to do all those transactions by hand. They mm -hmm. had to look up the rates manually and fill out forms <laughs> like people did, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Mm. So, of course, you know, paper and pen are still incredibly useful to us. Any other ancient mobility gadgets? Well, there's lots of navigation stuff, mm. mainly because, you know, that was the important thing. It was people moving from one place to another. So the astrolabe was a, a little gadget that was used to predict the uh, position of uh, planets and stars. That's been with us since around uh, the year zero, zero CE. Wow. Um, so it's similar in age to that early computer. Um, we saw the like astronomical astrolabes um, made and used in Iran in, I think, 994 CE. But it was actually the navigator's sextant. So, um, you know, we, you've probably seen one in pictures. It looks like a little telescope with this little weird uh, 45 degrees mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. angles and you, you go up. So that became especially uh, important to the world in the mid, I think, 18th century because it allowed people to suddenly calculate both latitude and longitude. Yeah. So it was essentially the first GPS system. Wow. So not every technological advances fades away. No, um, of course not. I mean, if you stick with the mobile devices, the compass actually originates from... 11th century China. Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, not only is it a technology we still use today, most smartphones have a compass app built into them. Yeah. It actually spread around the globe within 200 years. And that's really rapid for that period of time to become globally used within 200 wow, years. Yeah. And it's also credited for making possible the, the growth of international trade in the form of the, the merchant capital system that we still use today. Mm. That's really not bad for a piece of metal that floats on top of some water. Oh, of course, the one thing missing here is time. Yeah, you know, lots of these devices concern uh, space. So it's hard to imagine in this age of 
you know, being able to tell the time everywhere, that the first practical pocket watch, um, which was a mobile device for telling time, that was actually built by a clockmaker called uh, Bartholomew Manfredi uh, back in 1462. And that was, yeah, and that was just a prototype device. The pocket watch actually (laughs) became the iPhone of the 16th century. It was like the hottest gadget you could own. (laughs) Because, you know, mechanical clocks themselves were still relatively new at that point. Point. Yeah. And of course, people were less reliant on the concept of exact time. It's hard for us to even <laughs> fathom that now. You know, it was perfectly normal a couple of hundred years ago for <laughs> clocks to vary from place to place. You could go from one village to another village and the clock might be an hour different. We get upset when a website doesn't load in yeah. five seconds. Mm-hmm. So how would we have, you know, survived in a world where the schedule for the bullet cut to turn up was Wednesday. (laughs) Now, let's get closer to our own era. Sticking with the mobile devices, what are some of your favourite breakthroughs? I think the the Kodak Brownie camera. Now, Mm. this is really cool for a number of reasons. It was introduced in 1900 and it was a simple, inexpensive and portable camera. Um, You know, we've all seen the pictures of old photographers at work. They've got those big bellows things and they're standing (laughs) Mm. there with a blanket over their heads. The brownie was made out of cardboard and leather, so it was cheap to make, and that meant it was cheap to own. And Kodak made very cheap film available as well, so it became the first mass consumer camera. And you mentioned it was cool for a number of reasons. Well, you can see the business model. So it's one of the first examples of a company pretty much giving the hardware away or giving it away for Mm. basically cost and then making money on the refills, the film. Uh, You can see the same model alive today in printers, razors, and all kinds of consumables. I mean, Amazon still follows that model to try and get you to to purchase more easily. Their Echo devices are essentially the Browning camera for the the film, Mm. the stuff on their site. Mm. Um, And yes, it made big bucks for Kodak. It also put a photo developing shop on every street. Of course, smartphones, by contrast, took a photo developing store (laughs) off every street. Um, But that helped to democratize photography. And that's part of that information revolution because it put the power of capturing memories and creating images into the hands of anyone for the price of just one dollar. And that legacy of cheap, accessible technology is still with us in all of those things that you see at shows like CES. Mm. And I guess, as you mentioned, we have to mention razors. Well, the safety razor especially, you know, it really is amazing to think how much hassle it was to scrape hair from the parts of your body that fashion dictated was necessary, whether you were a male or a female. We used to use seashells, knives, probably tug of war and competitions for all I know. (laughs) You know, if you were wealthy, you Mm. might have had a nice straight razor by the kind of Victorian times. More likely for guys, they would go to a barber shop when they could afford to. But the first safety razor uh, or disposable razor, as we might recognize it, was introduced in the US by the Kempfer brothers Mm -hmm. um, back in, I think, the 1870s, 1880s. But it was a company that you might still know today, Gillette, Mm. who really ran with the concept. Again, around 1901, a lot of these inventions seem to kick in around 1900. Now, when were they replaced? Well, they haven't really been replaced. You know, um, some tech we seem to be stuck with, no matter how imperfect it is. You know, DNA editing seems to be the best solution for unwanted hair growth. (laughs) But um, 
as with belts and shoes, razors have evolved over time. You know, mm. now there's all the fancy ones with five blades, lubricating strips, apps to tell you how nasty <laughs> your hair growth looks. In my case, very nasty. Um, strangely enough, though, those single blade safety razors are having a bit of a comeback. I actually started uh, oh. using one last year. The shave is very slow, which is why I haven't <laughs> shaved today. Um, but it's it's really close. And you don't actually get all the razor burn that you seem to get mm. with those multi-blade ones. And it works out way, way cheaper. Mm. So it comes back to that thing that sometimes the new technology isn't actually the best technology. And, you know, let's face it, beards are really itchy. Mm. They're going to look weird in photos in 30 years' time. <laughs> okay, we have to wrap up as I've got a feeling you could wander down this particular memory lane for a couple of hours at least. So let's end with a curveball. What's the worst gadget ever made? Well, I could talk about this for hours. We've just had to <laughs> skip a huge yeah. section. Um, so I haven't been able to talk about uh, the transistor radio, which came out in 1954. <laughs> uh, I didn't get a chance to mention the zipper either, which is... Oh my God, yeah, yeah. A miracle and a curse that we've actually had since 1893. And as much as I hate smart tech, I would love someone to invent a zipper that alerts you when you've accidentally left it down. Um, maybe <laughs> not with a, a vibrating alert, but um, but no, the, the worst invention has got to be, it's an easy one, uh, the leaf blower. I mean, is there mm. anyone who doesn't hate the leaf blower. They've been burning our ears and spreading leaves into even more untidy <laughs> piles since the 1950s. They were actually adapted from agricultural blowers that we used to spread fertilizers. But then someone realized there was more money to make from a device that was much more expensive, but a lot less useful <laughs> than a rake. Um, they're so annoying that some cities have even banned mm. their use within municipal limits. I was about to say municipal lipids, which would be something very different. Um, they are hateful machines. Uh, the only exception I would make are for snowblowers and wood chippers, and that's just because they're funny. And if you don't know why they're funny, this weekend, watch the movie Fargo. All right. Okay. Uh, Matt Amatej there, going back in time, looking at some of the gadgets and our basically our obsessions uh, with some of the stuff. And I actually agree with you. Sometimes new tech doesn't mean better tech. Old tech still wins. No. Rake over leaf blower. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Geek Squawks will be next. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.